All right, guys, here we are this week. Happy Monday. Let's get it going. Start of the work week. We're going to start it off with Matt Carson. Matt Carson is in the mix of making his first ever TV series, hoping to get it picked up and streamed by one of the streaming services. In the meantime, all we get at the moment is a pilot, but it is so good. If you like Friday Night Lights, like, I swear to God, you will love this show. Because I just started watching it, and so what it is, is there's three episodes that are broken up, kind of like by their commercial break. But if you put them together, it's supposed to be one 30-minute episode. And it's so good. It's called The Pond. It's a hockey-based show showing kids that are younger, their high school age, and what they have to go through. And the premise of the show, the directing, writing, so much of the show is from Matt Carson. And that is who we're interviewing today. Listen to him talk about creating the show, the steps of how to make film, how he came up with the idea of it. And then also we get to know some of the background of him outside of that, which is his love for the game, how his career went from playing to coaching to inspiring the show. And I hope you guys are excited, and I hope that you guys give me five stars and then you go watch his YouTube videos because it's so good and here we go. Hi, how's it Hi, going? Hi, Kelsey. I'm doing well, thanks. You? Pretty good. Right um, on. Thank you for coming on with me. No problem. Perfect. I love the show. I binge watched it. It was awesome. Thank you. You came up with the idea of it? Yeah. Hockey's been in my family for a long time. My, uh, my dad was an NHL player in the 80s. And uh, I coached, well, I played when I was younger. I coached that age group, 13 and 14, for like six years in my 20s. That's where most of the stories that we want to expand into come from, uh, from my coaching time. You see a lot of crazy stuff uh, between parents and, and kids and, you know, other coaches and whatnot. So, yeah, we're hoping to to get some more funding and, and expand the series into, into full seasons. Okay, so how many episodes are in this season? Well, we just have those three. They were actually shot as a single pilot episode uh, that we were using to try to sell it to streaming services and whatnot, and uh, that's kind of an ongoing process right now. We've had some some pretty interesting conversations over the last few weeks, but yeah, so we cut it into, or I cut it into just the, the three shorter episodes to, to kind of placate more of a... I guess, uh, audience with less of an attention span than the 30 minutes that the, the pilot would have been. Okay. Have you guys gotten any good feedback? Like, is anyone looking at picking you up? We've gotten lots of good feedback, yeah, for sure. We have some people on board who are relatively big players here in Vancouver who uh, are kind of helping us usher it into the, the streaming service world and uh, into the Canadian marketplace specifically. Some bigger name Canadian stars that are kind of within uh, Touch's reach, but we don't want to get into too much of that now because it's all just kind of, you know, talk for now, but we are working towards building something that, that they can join in on. Okay. It gives me, have you ever seen Friday Night Lights? 
Yeah, I haven't seen the TV show, but the uh, the movie was definitely a template for how we wanted this show to come across. Basically, Friday Night Lights for hockey, a bit more adult oriented as far as language goes. Because even Friday Night Lights is like it's shot great, and the uh, the stories and everything are are brilliant. But still, like it kind of bugs me when they dumb down the language of you know these teenagers and stuff. Where you're like, that's not how teenagers talk to each other. Mm-hmm. They are swearing at each other. They're they're digging at each other. So we wanted to to bring that into into reality for sure. Yeah, I really liked it. I started watching it, not really knowing what it was. I just stumbled upon it. And then the first couple of jokes and the goalie, I was like, oh, my God, I love her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's great. She's great, for sure. Yeah, we, we casted players, really, was uh, was how we, we went about doing that, just kind of postings around. It was more, not more important that they play hockey versus can act. It was more that, you know, if we get enough hockey players through the casting process. Odds are a few of them are, you know, decent actors or, you know, just kind of playing to their personalities more so than anything. And, uh, you know, we lucked out with the cast. I think they all did a great job. Yeah. So how did you find them? Did you advertise, like, hockey ranks, like, come try out fresh? How did that happen? Yeah, that was a big part of it, going around to communities that I knew of. Like, we shot in Calgary, which is where I'm from. Literally just went around with flyers and posted them on all the, the bulletin boards in the, in the arenas and stuff. You know, hockey players wanted, this is the age range for a TV pilot show, give us a call or, or text or email or whatever. You know, utilized Facebook and, and Instagram for stuff like that as well. But I think most of them came from People just seeing the postings on, yeah, like I said, bulletin boards or mailboxes even, kind of around those areas. Yeah, I think that was a was a good strategy for finding finding people that could play and act. And how long did it take you guys to put together these three episodes that you have? I mean, that's kind of a weird question. <laughs> it's, uh, like, it's been a couple of years from start to finish. Oh, really? But as far as... You know, having the script written and then getting the funding for it and then shooting it was a probably six or seven months. The shooting was only, you know, five days once we actually started rolling the cameras. A couple of weeks before that of, of the casting and the uh, pre-production scouting locations and that type of thing. And then it just kind of, it honestly kind of sat on the shelf for, for a while. You know, we I had cut together some trailers of our footage and wanted to find a different editor for it. But then the, the COVID thing hit, and uh, I was just sitting at home, and I had all the footage there. And so I, you know, felt like I might as well edit this together now. And did that and released it all, and we've had some some great feedbacks. Yeah, uh, it was, it's been a bit of a long sort of up and down journey that way and still still going but I'm really glad it's done I'm really happy with how it turned out I did notice that you guys posted that you had to delay the release date was that a difficult decision saying it was something that was in the works for so long to have to delay it I I wouldn't say it was a difficult decision it was more the fact that I was so absorbed in the editing process that 
I didn't really realize what had started happening with, you know, the protests and all this type of stuff that, mm -hmm. that had erupted kind of around the same time. And then I got, you know, sort of pumped on what I was doing. So I released like a trailer. This is when it's going to be released. And then I sat back and turned on the news and I was like, Oh, holy smokes. Like this is a much more important conversation and not that anything really has like the series doesn't really have anything to do with those types of conversations. Although I would like to explore, you know, racism and sports and stuff like that going forward. We didn't have the diversity in the cast that you know, I did really want uh, not to, you know, disparage any of the, the actors that we did get, but you know, just from where we were casting the demographics didn't show up. There just wasn't anybody of color that showed up. So we, Yeah, I felt like it, it felt weird to be advertising my own pet project when I personally, you know, felt the need to speak up and, and be supportive of what was and is still a major conversation about, you know, race and inequality and, and violence and a bunch of different stuff. So, you know, obviously that stuff's not gone, but in the heat of it, uh, I, I just didn't feel comfortable Uh, yeah, like I said, advertising our, our, our project in that way. So we decided to delay it, and I think that was for the best. Yeah, I agree. Definitely for the best, but I could see how you could be like, oh, like so long in the making. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't so much the struggle. I mean, you know, it's always when – when you work on something for so long, it's kind of like, well, a few weeks doesn't make a difference. Yeah, exactly. It was more that I felt – kind of crappy about not paying attention in the first place mm -hmm. and then and then had released this stuff and like hey look at my project about what like literally days after all of this stuff started happening and I'm just like oh I feel like an idiot like I was just <laughs> not had my head up my butt and but yeah like I said I you know with the support of the people that have kind of joined on the project to help us push it further You know, they didn't mind me pushing pushing the release, and and it, like I said, it worked out. So, are there any topics in particular that you do want to touch on with your show? Yeah, definitely. Uh, like I said, racism in sports is something we want to get into. Exclusion in general, as far as exclusion of you know homosexuality and that sort and the sort of language that gets used within dressing rooms that might be excluding those people without really realizing it. I think that stuff is, I wouldn't say eradicated <laughs> uh, now, but uh, it's definitely changed. It changed it, from when I was playing. It was pretty prevalent to be calling people the real F word, you know, using that just general type of language to be, you know, meaning insults towards each other. But as I coached and, and realized, and, you know, we were very hard on, kids for that type of language like you can use we can you can call like i don't know if you want me to swear during this or not but <laughs> it's okay we haven't okay. been like too worried about swearing fair enough uh, we're, you know when we were coaching we were younger coaches which which kind of opens up opens up a different sort of dynamic with the kids and we were like you know you can call people shitheads you can say fuck you can say whatever but you know these are the words you don't use ex exclusory language you know and But we found that the kids of that generation and, and, and hopefully continuing on, uh, we're, we're more cracking down on it in a good way than, you know, 
you know, somebody used something like that, it would be almost immediately jumped on by the rest of the kids. But like, yo, that's not a cool thing to say. So I'm happy to see those types of transitions for sure. But it definitely still exists, particularly in, in areas where, you know, the diversity isn't as large and, you know, smaller towns and stuff like that. They're just, just like anywhere else. They're, it's a little bit more conservative as far as, you know, how they're viewing social issues and stuff like that. And particularly in kind of a machismo area of sports, it, it's definitely still prevalent. So I think it's a, it's a conversation that's, that's worth having. Following the female trans, trans, uh, the female pathway through sports and hockey in particular is something that I want to explore. Uh, it was really important that we had a female cast member because in the further stories, I'd like to, to see, you know, their, their channels are quite a bit different as far as the, the pathway that they can go. They split off quite a bit earlier now. You know, it used to be we would play with girls until, you know, 14, 15. Um, if, if, they, if they could play, they could play. And now, you know, girls' programs are starting way, way younger. And so you're, you don't see that much of a mixing. And, and girls, you know, they go, tend to go through college more as far as that system is and into, you know, national teams and stuff like that. Which, yeah, like I said, is, is an interesting pathway that's not really explored very much, and I think it's definitely worth getting into. Definitely. Is this the first show that you've worked on or created? Yeah, I mean, we were kind of fresh out of film school when we started working on it, and done a few small things here and there that are just like small little projects, but this has definitely been the most most work that's gone into one single thing, for sure, and and, you know... Like you could probably tell, it's it's kind of you know stories near and dear to to my heart and to the heart of you know some of the other production crew and whatnot. So yeah, it's it's the bigger one for sure. I was gonna ask what player you relate to the most, but it sounds like maybe the coaching one would be for you. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to know how you relate to coaches because so much of that is really done behind closed doors mm-hmm. and how they relate to their players. Being from Calgary, this might be kind of a weird answer, but John Tortorella to be very interesting. You know, he's he seems like kind of a loose cannon sort of guy, but when and maybe was when he was a little bit younger, but when you see him talking in interviews, you can tell he really cares about his players and you know, kind of has a foot in being a player's coach, but also, like, not taking any shit from them as far as, like, hey, you don't need a massage before every game, man. Like, let's, you know, kind of this a self-aware humor towards the spoiledness of the players that he's dealing with as, you know, in the pro levels for sure. But, yeah, people like that that, you know, kind of wear their hearts on their sleeve, I find to be the most interesting players is always a big Bobby Orr fan, even though he's like way before my time, the way that he kind of transcended what that position was. Like I was a defenseman mostly growing up and, you know, before him defense just played defense, you know, they stood back and played from the blue line back sort of thing. And then all of a sudden this guy comes in and he's skating end to end and going through everybody else and, you know, really just revolutionizing what that position was. 
And same with a guy like Lidstrom, you know, somebody who's not really physical, but still you can't get by him. Like, how do you, like, just, you can't really explain what makes him so good, but, because uh, if you watch him, it seems pretty plain. But, you know, part of the beauty of being a defenseman was kind of like, if you're not being noticed, then that's kind of a good thing, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, yeah, people like that, I guess, would be, would be people that I would look up to in the hockey world. When did you finish playing competitively? Really when I was, like, 18. I wouldn't say I ever played, like, a, like any sort of crazy high level of competitiveness. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a decent player, can get around. But I became sort of disillusioned with the higher-level competitive teams as about a 15-year-old. And that, that kind of stuff will leak into the, the series as well as far as, you know, the the players that you're dealing with, it seemed like the higher I got up, the more dickheads there seemed to be on teams and and the types of coaches that we were dealing with who were more old school, you know, benching kids without really explaining why and, you know, shortening the bench for, for young kids like it's an NHL hockey game and you're kind of like, really? Like, we're all trying to learn here, you know? So... I kind of took a step back from from really pursuing that as a as a thing. Yeah, when I was a later teenager, and then went off to school, and and you know had a whole sort of separate life away from it. Came back to coaching while I was in in, in university as well. But yeah, I definitely probably enjoyed coaching more than than playing at at the end of the day. And you said your dad played in the NHL, so how was that kind of following him up? Did you feel a lot of pressure or not really? No, not not necessarily. I mean, he, I think, he had an interesting relationship with his own career. Uh, he'd be the first to say, looking back on it, he didn't enjoy it as much as he probably should have mm-hmm. because, you know, you're always, you're, every day you're fighting for your job and, you know, dealing with a much more old school mentality with, uh, with coaches and whatnot. So he didn't necessarily push us to be going in that direction. I have two brothers, uh, an older and younger as well. We all played and maybe almost to a fault. He just didn't really want to be that dad, you know? And so he was there and he was supportive and he coached us and that was great, but was never really that pushy about, you know, training and, and, and being super crazy about it, it was kind of like, well, if you're interested in it, you're interested. If you're not, or if you are, then here is like a workout plan, but you have to do it. You know, I'm not going to be there screaming at you, which it was, you know, obviously it was nice. <laughs> but, you know, we did see parents like that. One in particular that was definitely a really intense dude and his kid ended up going all the way playing in the NHL, you know, so it is what it is. And, yeah, yeah, I didn't ever really feel that type of pressure until kind of later, actually. Like, I kind of realized it as, like, a, you know, when it was too late, you know, you're 20, 21, and I had a conversation with my dad. I'm like, so you had three boys, and, you know, he has friends who he played with who have sons as well that are now, you know, NHL players or got close to or whatever. And he's like, did you think or you feel kind of weird that, like, none of us ever, like, really went that far with it? And he was like, you know, I thought at least one of you guys would maybe go go that go that distance, but like I, I mean, it's a <laughs> it's a lightning strikes chance, really. Even if you do have the the talent level, and you need 
you need to be working your tail off the whole way through. And that part of the, the series is, you know, you kind of not expect, but as a teenager, you have to make that decision. You know, when you're like 13, 14 years old, you have to make that choice of like, I want to be an NHL hockey player and then apply it every single day mm-hmm. through your diet, through your exercise, through going through separate programs and all this type of stuff, which is, you know, looking back on it as a 13-year-old, I didn't really think about it like that, you know. Obviously, I wanted to be an NHL hockey player. That's the dream. But as far as, like, what you needed to do to get there, it just, it seemed like something that wasn't real, you know. So you ended up taking the route of going to film school. How did you enjoy that? I love it. I didn't go to film school right away. I was in, uh, I have an economics degree. I went through investment banking for about six years and decided to leave that because it wasn't feeding my soul and started thinking about what I'd like to do differently and always was interested in film and, and personally do a lot of different types of artwork, music and, 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 you know, hand drawn art and painting and stuff like that. And so, that stuff, I think, all kind of coalesces into into filmmaking and and wanting to tell stories that I think are important and can can change people's perceptions of of you know certain aspects of the world, including what we're talking about. Hockey is you know to us as Canadians, we kind of know what it is as far as how it's wrapped around our culture, but the media that we've seen about hockey that's gotten more mass appeal and things like Mighty Ducks and, you know, Slapshot and Goon, like they're, they're fun and, and hilarious, but they're always kind of played as jokes. And, you know, I wanted to dig into what the real impact that this sport has on, on our culture is, you know, arguably more entwined with our culture than any other sport or culture. You know, obviously soccer is, is worldwide. Um, but that means that there's not really one specific country that identifies with it as much as, you know, any uh, one other country. Whereas Canada, I think, really does specifically identify with hockey in, in a very interesting way. With making the show, what would you say was your favorite part? The acting, the directing, advertising, background stuff? <laughs> Definitely not the advertising. No? <laughs> no, I mean, the... Uh... Yeah, the whole, you know, Instagramming and Twitter thing and all that stuff is not really my bag. It's kind of behind my generation as far as, you know, it's more the, the 20 year olds and stuff that are, that are good with that type of thing. But yeah, the actual filming was, was awesome. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And you know, I, I'm in it too. Acting was fun, and, and seeing the kids enjoy it was, was a lot. Was was great. I would say those five days that we were filming was definitely the highlight of it. And then, yeah, editing. Editing is hard and takes a long time, and there's a lot of aspects to it that you'd like to spread to people who are maybe more talented in that in that vein, including like sound and music and stuff like that uh and we did have a really great music supervisor uh cindy valentine who came on to the project and provided us with with you know great access to to some young canadian artists and and their music as well as you know great feedback on the editing and and how to make that as impactful as possible but uh yeah you know it's like it's a puzzle that you're kind of putting together and then when you do end up seeing it and 
you know, feeling the beats of everything and it's all, it all comes together in a, in a good way because you're never really sure how it's going to turn out. And to have it turn out, you know, in my opinion, pretty decently was pretty cool to see. Was there ever a moment where you were kind of nervous? Like, oh, I don't know if this is going to be really good. I don't know what the response will be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> when we were filming it, I wasn't. Filming it, you know, when you're looking at the camera and stuff, and we had some great camera people. Shout out to Alex Butler and Shane McRae, who uh, were our cinematographer and, and camera operator specifically. And, and they... They have a huge hand in making it look, you know, cinematic like it does and, you know, like a real TV show without the lighting and the, and the camera work that just doesn't come together in that sort of way. So I was really happy with it while we were filming. And then when I had handed it off to somebody else to maybe edit it for me and, and seeing what they brought back, that's what kind of made me nervous because it wasn't what I expected. But in the end, I mean, when you're sh- when you're shooting in a indie format like we were, uh, it made sense. Like I wanted somebody else to edit it because film is a collaborative art form, and there are people that, uh, like I said, are much more talented in that side of things than I am. But me myself being there on set, watching, knowing where we have these small little things that I want to include, you know, I in the end thinking about it, you know, no expectation of an editor being able to go through hours and hours of footage that they don't have never seen before and weren't on set for with us or anything like that to expect them to find that stuff and, and use it the way that I was thinking of using it, you know, was, was a tall order. So, but once I started editing it myself and, and like I said, adding in music and, and that type of thing, then, then I started to become a lot more, uh, a lot happier with what we were seeing. Yeah, and it looks really, really good. Thank you. <laughs> I don't want to give anything away too much of what's on the show because I want people to go and watch it. But when you were coaching, did you get into any scrums like what happened on the show? <laughs> I never got punched in the face. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, definitely there's there's heated moments with parents particularly and other coaches that – that kind of blew my mind, you know. I recall one parent basically yelling at us to play his kid who had had a concussion, you know, in the previous couple games, and so he was sitting out, but, you know, we're in, like, heat of the playoff race or whatever it was. It's like, oh, you got to, like, you have to use them, and we're like, man, your kid might have brain damage. Like, (laughs) what are you talking about, you know? But it, it, they come from a more of an old school mentality of, of you know, you okay? Yeah, get up and go and do it again. And, you know, I was, you know, kind of brought up through that as well. You know, I definitely had times where I had my bell rung. You know, they didn't have the types of knowledge of concussions or awareness that they do now. And so it's just like you look at their eyes. Are they kind of all there? Yeah, okay. But then I don't remember most of that game or the rest of that game or whatever, or even the next couple of days. And yeah, we had this one instance of a, a coach from another team after we were shaking hands with them in a tournament, just like screaming at us because we had like wiped the floor with their team. You come from a bigger city and then go to some of the smaller towns or whatever with, you know, in a tournament and you're not really sure what the skill level difference is going to be. You know, everybody has different 
letters or numbers assigned to their divisions, and so you try to kind of guess which one you belong to when you're applying for those uh, for those tournament spots. And then sometimes you get there and you're getting the floor wiped with you, or you're wiping the floor with everybody else. And so we kind of uh, ran the table in this tournament, and the coach just losing it at us in the middle of the rink, like after we. After we shake hands, and we're both just like, "What is this guy's deal?" Like saying things that I would never say to another person, <laughs> and you know, it's like he's getting escorted off by the refs. He's still shouting from the from behind the glass, and then the, we come out, and the manager of that team is shouting at our manager, and and we find like we find out that this guy is the principal of the school there. <laughs> we're like, "What?" Like. You know, we tell our kids after the games, you know, no, no shit in the lineup. You know, you win like winners, you lose like winners. Just shake your hands and and say good game. And like, how could you say that to your players when you're the one that's just like losing it? And I'm not gonna say that I never kind of lost my cool, but yeah, I've never seen anything like that. There were like p- the police came to escort people out and stuff. It was just insane. And I'm like, man, this like people are taking this way too seriously. But you know. It is serious for some people, so. It is. I used to work at an ice rink for a while, and they had a high school tournament there, and I went to the college close to the ice rink, so I knew some of the parents of the kids, because the one parent was my accounting professor, and he was announcing the game, and his kid got laid out, and he just started chirping the person who hit his kid over the loudspeaker. And then after the game, that kid came back out to the lobby and tried to fight my accounting professor. And I remember just watching this, like, what is going on? Yeah, it's, you know, it's serious business out there a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And, I mean, the the crappy thing is in those situations is, like, a lot of times it's it's the parents who are are losing it. And... Mm -hmm. You know, the kids kind of suffer for it because they're all just kind of looking at each other like, uh, or they get sucked into it like, like you, you're talking about where like, yeah, all of a sudden you have a grown man picking a fight with a teenager and you're like, what? <laughs> like, anyways, yeah, uh, we'd like to introduce all that type of stuff into, into the lore of the media of hockey so that more people who don't necessarily watch the game or don't have the, the kind of, small town experience with it not necessarily small town but more acute experience with it like you're saying you know we want to bring them into that world and show them like this is what we're putting our teenagers through like let's talk about that a little bit yeah are you still coaching no haven't coached since 2016 uh 2015 2016 i think was my last year we had a really great year the year before, and then the following year was not so great. <laughs> and but you know, it was it was all great. To see, it's great to see kids grow from what you're trying to teach them. When the, when you teach them something and they apply it and are successful because of it, you know, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I've met some great people all the way through, and uh, they've been really supportive of this project as well in, in the aftermath. And I'd like to get back into it. But, you know, have different focuses now, and it does take up, you know, it's a volunteer thing, and it does take up a lot of time, especially when you're doing it at that at a higher level. You know, it was five, six days a week, and, uh, you know, have a job 
job and friends and girlfriends and and you know try to have any sort of social life. I mean, that you, your social life is built around it, which mm-hmm. uh, is kind of part of the stories too. So uh, it was a lot of fun though, and uh, and anybody that's kind of getting out of hockey and maybe a younger person, I definitely recommend that they. Uh, that they try it, just join up as an assistant coach or a skill coach for, for a team and, and see how you enjoy it. I know our, one of our producers is uh, quite a bit younger than me and he was, you know, pretty high level player. And he, after we had done this and, you know, kind of going through the experience of, of filming with the kids and hearing about my experiences as a coach and stuff, he went back to his hometown and, and coached a hockey team and he said, man, it's just like, the most fun I've ever had. And so that's, that's a, it's a cool feeling, like I said, to see, see somebody grow with the knowledge that you impart onto them for sure. And so what should we expect to see coming from you and from the pond? Expect? Oh, what should we look out for? I hope that we are seeing it in, in the relatively near future on, uh, on, you know, uh, a Netflix or a, or a Hulu or a Crave to expand it out into a full length, you know, couple seasons worth of, of stories of different, different kids and their struggles and, and triumphs and whatnot. And, you know, from there, other film projects, uh, for myself that don't have anything to do with hockey, maybe. But for now, the pond is, is definitely our baby and we're, we're hoping that it can, it can reach what we're wanting it to reach, which is, you know, a, at least a few seasons of letting the world know what this sport means to, to this, to this culture and, and making people realize that it's not just here. You know, people do think about hockey as just a Canadian thing, but it really is quite global. And, you know, a lot of places in the U.S. have, have great histories with hockey and new, new growing histories with hockey which is nice to see places in the south which don't obviously have the ice and stuff but you know places like LA and Nashville and you know Vegas now and Tampa Bay you know these teams have all grown a really big fan base and you're starting to see NHL players that come from those areas now which is which is cool and then you know across northern Europe uh, obviously it's it's a big thing so we do think that there's a global audience for this, despite what some Americans might think. <laughs> no, there definitely is. And, and not to bring it to myself, but I've noticed on my podcast, we have people listening from Japan and Mexico and all over in places that like I don't necessarily think is a hockey hotbed. So I was like, yeah, definitely realizing more how global it is. Yeah, I mean... Like you, you, you mentioned Mexico. Like I know that there, it's not huge down there, but there are teams. You know, there are arenas, there mm-hmm. are little programs and stuff like that. I know a few people that went and played, you know, quote unquote professional. I mean, they're being paid in Japan and in Australia has an interesting hockey following as well. So yeah, like I said, it, it's 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 much more global than I think people give it credit for. Do we get to know any of your other TV ideas that you were talking about? What else are you working on? I have a lot of different interests and and I think methods of wanting to to get into those things. Do some animation projects. 
which are fun to work on because you can kind of just do them on your own and, or with a small group of people. You don't need the, the crazy funding and everything that, uh, that necessarily needs to go into film projects. I like things that are social commentaries, you know, maybe look through the lens of sci-fi and, or, you know, thrillers that get into how our, how our systems are maybe flawed in the world and, and how they can and should possibly change. And I'm a pretty political person, so when I was leaving banking, it was kind of a decision between going into politics or going into art to try to change change things about the world that I think are problems. And I, I landed on art can be a lot more of an effective tool for that even though politics is, you know, where laws are made and stuff like that, art can change people's minds uh, just by watching a movie or reading a book or uh, whatever, whatever it is. So uh, it's a little, and you can make that message clearer than, you know, the muddied waters of, of overstuffed politics that, you know, where, where money reigns supreme, not that money doesn't, uh, doesn't have an effect on what we're doing in, in the in the film world as well. It certainly does, but I think you can get to a place quicker where that's not such a a burden. Cancel culture doesn't make you nervous at all. Like bringing politics into your entertainment doesn't frighten you, thinking that maybe you could take the wrong step. No, not really. I think cancel culture is kind of a misnomer for people that don't want to adjust themselves to how the world is reacting. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, there's definitely a an oversensitivity in certain areas. that, But I think that that's a lot more minor than, than gets talked about, you know, as far as, you know, it does get amplified when you have things like Twitter and people can just, like, bombard you with their opinions and all of a sudden it snowballs into, you know, quote unquote being canceled or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't really, it doesn't really bother me at this stage. I mean, if I'm ever in a position where there's enough people that are really that upset about what something I've said, then I'd count that as a win. I guess. <laughs> and, you know, I trust in, in myself as far as my own, my own opinions being, you know, good, good hearted and, and from a place of, of wanting people to just kind of get along and, and wanting the best for the world in general. And so, yeah, I'm pretty solidified in, in, in my, in my thoughts being, being good natured at the end of the day. If somebody doesn't like the way I've said something or, or whatever, then, uh, I'm happy to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the best way to work. It is with good intentions, always. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Where did you come up with the name The Pond? Well, it was actually originally called Puck. Okay. And it was Puck up until pretty much right before the the, the main release. We had some people come on who wanted to help us pitch it to these streaming services and stuff, and, and they wanted a name with a bit more of, I don't know, a bit more of an appeal, I guess, that didn't announce it as a hockey thing, like right off the bat, something that they could bring to, to higher-ups and, and not have it kind of have them rolling their eyes as, as soon as somebody says, oh, it's a Canadian hockey show, of course it is. 
And so we workshopped a bunch of different stuff. And then for some reason it was, I, I thought about, oh, what about the pond? And I was like, oh, the pond, how the, like, how has it not been the pond the whole time? Like, <laughs> I like that it's sort of layered in this, you know, it's, it's the pond. It's where it freezes and we skate on it, obviously. It's a, a slang term for the arena itself. The pond is, you know, a place where things grow and expand and, and it also is like, you know, big, big fish in a little pond sort of mentality to some of these, you know, bigger, or, uh, talented players who come from small towns and they have to kind of, you know, get out and go into bigger programs where, you know, maybe they were hot shit in their, in their town and then all of a sudden everybody's hot shit and, and dealing with that. So. Yeah, I think it hit the hit the nail on the head when we came up with it finally. If people want to watch it, they can find it at your website, thepondtv.com, and on YouTube. Anywhere else? The episodes are all on our Instagram, uh, thepondtv.show, uh, just on the IGTV uh, section. But yeah, the the website are links to the YouTubes and. Um, we're trying to get those views up as much as possible to, to continue to uh, try to sell it. So uh, I would prefer that people go through that channel, definitely, and, and share the links around however they want to whoever they think might be interested. And, yeah, hopefully get the, get the snowball continuing to roll. Perfect. Well, thank you for coming on with me. Thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed yourself.